prayer, and you'll see that today it's titled, Taking God Seriously. I don't know what you think about when you think about the Lord's Prayer, but one of the things that comes to mind to me is it's got to be the most famous prayer in the entire world. I mean, every Sunday or every day of worship in churches around the world, from the mud huts of equatorial Africa to the great cathedrals of Europe, from the white clapboard country churches of uh, rural Mississippi to the house churches you would find in China, Christians of every Christian denomination recite this prayer as part of their worship experience, even as we did today. For 2,000 years, though believers have pondered its meaning, the Lord's Prayer, and I think the more I've studied it for this series, I've found it to be kind of like an inexhaustible well. It's like the deeper you go, the more you find it. No matter how much you studied this prayer, the more it reveals itself to the earnest seeker. Today, we're going to be taking a look at really the very first phrase. We talked about the Lord's Prayer a couple weeks ago. Last week was about our Father. But today, we're going to take a look at the very first phrase. It's the one that says, Hallowed be thy name. Now, I think it's fair to say that this is the one that makes the least sense to most of us. And therefore, it's a phrase that we might find ourselves praying the least. I mean, almost all of us would say, give us this day our daily bread. Many of us will say, deliver us from evil. Uh, but not a whole lot of people would automatically think, hallowed be thy name. Now, in the first place, it's because it kind of sounds strange. Hallowed, hallowed, is an archaic word that, you know, it kind of smacks of uh, these cloistered halls and dismal chants. When you say these hallowed halls... You can almost picture a medieval monastery with a bunch of old men strolling through the arches with those long robes and the hoods, and they're swinging those censers back and forth in the smoky, with smoky incense and singing or chanting rather mournful music. I mean, that's part of our basic problem. The phrase itself sounds like it belongs back in the 12th century, and so we really don't quite know what to do with it in the 21st century. And since we don't know what it really means, sometimes we don't really know what we're praying for. But it's, a, it's of profound importance because I want you to note that Jesus does not start with this prayer with something that we understand, like bread and forgiveness. He starts with the part that we really have a hard time understanding. And I think there's a real crucial point here. Prayer doesn't begin with our concerns like bread and forgiveness, but prayer starts with God's concerns, that his name be hallowed. So when we come, and even as we did today, we pray to our Father, we begin by saying, hallowed be thy name. Now, I just want you to think about that word for a moment, hallowed, hallowed, however you want to pronounce it. It's really not that difficult. The word itself simply means holy or sacred. It means to be set apart. You know, we talk about the hallowed halls of ivy. Uh, we kind of think it refers to places like Harvard or Yale. Uh, sometimes, believe it or not, they even use the phrase the hallowed halls of Congress, which must be a real figure of speech because much that goes on there is neither sacred nor holy. But then again, some of you who are students of history, and I used to teach history in high school, uh, may remember Abraham Lincoln. 
uh, in his Gettysburg Address, just a few months after that, pi that pivotal battle of the Civil War in 1863. He's standing out on the battlefield where thousands of men in blue and gray had shed their blood, and in the Gettysburg Address he declared, we cannot hallow, we cannot consecrate, we cannot dedicate this ground. Now why did he say that? Well, it's because at the Battle of Gettysburg, it was already hallowed or made sacred by the brave men who died there. And so that kind of gives us a good definition to work from today. To hallow something is to treat it as sacred and holy and worthy of the highest veneration, the highest level of respect. So the prayer really simply is this, Lord, may your name be treated with respect and honor because your name is sacred and holy. You hallow God's name when you treat it with the utmost respect. That immediately raises the question, at least it did to me, and that's why, why did he say hallowed be your name? Your name. See, it's not exactly the same if we would say hallowed be the name of Frank or Bubba or hallowed be the name of Ruth or Sylvia. I mean, your name, your name may not matter to anyone else in the world, but you probably care about your name uh, because it identifies who you are. I think it was Shakespeare, it might have been Merchant of Venice, some of you that are better English majors than I was. I think he said, at some point, I'm going to paraphrase, that you can steal my coat or you can steal my purse and you have nothing, but if you steal my name, you have taken all that I have. So you can be one of 20 John Smiths in the phone book, but to you, you are the only one that really matters. I mean, just think about how much time parents spend naming their children, discussing the names, debating the names, um, arguing over the names, writing down the names. They write down the first name, then they add a middle name, and then they flip the middle name and the other name. They argue over which in-law or outlaw they're going to get in there. And they reverse it, they drop the ad, you know, they do all kinds of goofy things to come up with names. Now in the Bible, what you may know is that names usually stand for a character or basic attribute. For example, the name Adam means man. The name Eve means life giver. Abraham means father of multitudes. Jacob means cheater or deceiver. In Bible times, when people gave somebody else a name, you were not just identifying them, you were also identifying his or her character. And we kind of do the same today. If you were to be in our house and you came into the master bathroom, you would see two uh, cross-stitch things, and one of them says Nancy, and underneath it says graceful. That's what the name Nancy means. You might see Barry, and it says courageous. That's what that name means. We tend to associate certain names, too, with certain emotions. For example, if I say the name Hitler, you probably automatically think of Nazi Germany and all the atrocities that went with that. If I said Mother Teresa, you would immediately think about her selfless work for the homeless people in Calcutta. You got two people, two names, two completely different emotions. 
So let me ask, what pops up on your mental image screen when you hear the word God? What pops up? What mental image? Now, I would say that the answer depends on who you are and how much you actually know about God. I think for most of us, God brings up um, a lot of stories, perhaps. I mean, I got to thinking about that. You know, I think, for example, about how God created the world out of nothing. Uh, God, through Moses, parted the Red Sea. Uh, God caused the uh, walls to tumble down at Jericho. Uh, God shut the mouths of the lions so Daniel could get a good night's sleep. And so we hear these stories, and we kind of refer back to the God who stands behind those stories. And so God's name really talks about his character and his reputation. There's a lot of Bible passages, for example. I think I put some of them on your outline. Psalm 8, 1. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name. Psalm 20. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Psalm 23. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm 25, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity. Or really a famous verse in the Bible, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's used three different times in the Bible. It's used in Joel and Acts and in Romans. See, God's name talks about his character. That's why the third commandment says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So to take God's name in vain is the exact opposite of hallowing. Hallowing God's name means that we take it seriously. Another way of saying it would be, we might be able to say, Oh God, show us who you are. Oh God, may we see you as you are. Oh God, may we treat you as you ought to be treated. So when we pray like that, we are asking God to cause his word to be believed and to cause his displeasure to be feared and to cause his commandments to be obeyed and cause in himself to be glorified. Now, let me ask this question. What does God look like? Is that a mental image of what God looks like? You know, the Bible doesn't really leave us wondering what God looks like you just need to go back to the book of Matthew, or Mark, or Luke, or even John, in a matter of speaking, because 2,000 years ago, a little baby was born in Bethlehem who answered that question. If you want to know what God looks like, the Bible says, look at Jesus. In fact, the book of Hebrews that we're studying in adult Bible class Sunday morning, in the very first chapter, it calls him the shining forth of the glory of God. Does God have a name? Yeah, his name is Jesus. And as I look at Jesus, all those theoretical ideas that we have about God suddenly become reality. When I see Jesus, I know that God has hands and feet. He's got eyes to see and ears to hear. He's got lips to speak, and guess what? He speaks a language that even I understand. I, I see him touching a leper, and I, and I know that no one is too dirty for him. I see him pause to speak to a beggar, and I know he's never too busy for me. 
I see him feed multitudes with loaves and fishes, and I know that if he can do that, he can supply my needs. Or I see him with a towel and a basin washing people's feet, and I realize that no job is too menial for him. But there's one more picture of this God named Jesus that I have to see, and that's the one of him hanging on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, beaten and bruised and bloodied and mocked and scourged, and spit upon and jeered and hated and scorned and despised and rejected and crucified. And when I hear Jesus cry out those words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, I suddenly realize that Jesus has no enemies. Do you get that? Jesus has no enemies. At least not from his point of view. In Jesus, I find a God who takes people seriously. He never treats people casually. He never blows people off. He never says, get out of my way, you're a loser. Uh, God is a, he's a God who cares enough to get involved in this ugly, twisted, unredeemed world. That's who God is. And if he never took people lightly, then I must never take his name lightly. Now let me stop here and just make a simple observation. No prayer could probably be more appropriate in this sinful world we live in today. For if one thing is certain about the world in the 21st century, God's name is not being hallowed today. Let me give you a little example from the College World Series this last week. In the very first game, there was a pretty spectacular play in the outfield. And up on the big screen, they often, it would be replay, and what I saw, looked at the screen, were three letters, O-M-G, exclamation point. Anybody know what O-M-G stands for? Oh, my God. And then they showed this play. I have a feeling somebody said something to somebody because I never saw that again. In fact, I never want to see that again. I mean, that, that is not hallowing God's name. That's taking God's name in vain. Let me tell you when God's name is not hallowed. God's name is not hallowed when over a million babies are killed through abortion every year in America. God's name is not hallowed when crack cocaine is sold like candy on the street corners of our cities. God's name is not hallowed when homosexuality is celebrated as natural and a normal way of life. It's not hallowed when the divorce rate equals the marriage rate. God's name is not hallowed when we laugh and giggle at sex on television when instead we really ought to have the decency to blush. God's name is not hallowed when God's people think of nothing, think nothing of attending filthy movies. We do not hallow God's name when we take God's name in vain and laugh at dirty jokes. We don't hallow his name when we cheat on our income taxes and then laugh about it. We don't hallow God's name when we expect our leaders in Congress to lie and are surprised when they don't. We do not hallow God's name when spiritual leaders fall into sin and our hearts are not broken for the church. We do not hallow God's name when Christians keep quiet in order to avoid persecution in the, in the marketplace. God's name is not hallowed when we secretly envy sinners who do things that we are forbidden to do. 
we do not hallow God's name when the Bible becomes a closed book and prayer becomes a heavy burden in our lives. We do not hallow God's name when we tithe to the mortgage company instead of the Lord. We do not hallow God's name when we value the approval of others over the approval of God. And we do not hallow the God's name when the, we gossip about the sins of others rather than mourning over our sins. We don't hallow his name when we criticize our brothers and sisters for failing to live up to our expectations. And we do not hallow God's name when we hold grudges for days and weeks and months and, yes, even years. A few years ago, George Barna conducted a survey comparing the ethical behavior of American Christians with the ethical behavior of the general American population. The survey found out that there is no substantial difference between the ethical behavior of those who call themselves Christians and those of the general population. As the world gets churchier, the church, it seems, gets worldlier. And in such a climate of moral ambivalence, we should not be surprised that the church has literally become marginalized to the point of being irrelevant. Now, I know that today there's a rise of uh, hostility. I, I read someplace, I think it was in Pakistan or India the other day, where a group of uh, Hindus came really with a bulldozer and bulldozed down a Christian church. That's happening in this world. But in many Western countries, like ours, Christians are simply ignored because we look too much like the rest of the population. You know, in the early church, Christians were thrown to the lions. Sad to say, in too many cases today, we've joined in a kind of a limited partnership with the people who own the lions. I mean, to say this is not to suggest that we should pray for persecution or that we should adopt some sort of martyr complex, but it's, it is true that if Christians really took seriously the name of God, the people who don't care about God might actually take us more seriously. See, the same is true in our personal relationship. If a Christian under pressure loses his temper just like a non-Christian does or becomes nervous or anxious or greedy or is gluttonous or just as cruel as the rest of this world, then we should not be surprised if we have no evangelistic money to spend in our neighborhood. I mean, after all, why would anybody want to be converted to something that is not so much different than what they already know. All I'm saying, friends, is that the essence of this petition is we pray that God might be able to show that we are redeemed so that in our lives we would act in a certain way that people would look at that and say there's something different about these people. I mean, what would we see if we followed you around all this week? Would your life show your any material difference as a Christian? I mean, does the fact that you bear the name of Jesus or have a little cross hanging around your neck make a difference in any way? See, that's really the bottom line of this petition. When you pray, Our Father, hallowed, holy be your name, you are saying, Oh God, let me live in such a way that your name is great in my life, May your reputation be increased in the world that I live in. This last week, I was speaking to a couple of guys that were sitting next to me at the ball game, season ticket holders. 
And he told me in part of the conversation about how about a year ago, uh, he was hoping his daughter would come to the game, he said, but she was still recovering because he nearly lost her in a horrible car accident. And I, I said something like, well, that, that had to really be tough. And he says, it was really tough. And, and he said, you know, all my life, I've been told that God needs to be number one, that my family needs to be number two, and then everything else is third. And he said, and when something like that accident to my daughter happened, you suddenly realize how very true that is. That's why that request comes first. It's fundamental. Before you pray about what you want, you are to pray about what God wants. And what God wants is that his name be made great in the world. Now, here's a, good, here's a test for you this week. If God answered the prayers you prayed today, whose name would be glorified? Yours or his? But see, that all changes when you can say, hallowed be your name. When you pray that with understanding, you're really saying, Lord, ascend to the throne of my life. I don't want to sit on the throne, you sit on the throne. See, a right approach to that would give us courage in the moment of crisis. Now, if you remember the story of David and Goliath. David comes out to challenge this nine-and-a-half-foot-tall killing machine. Goliath has got all this armor. I mean, he's got armor that probably weighs more than David. And uh, he says, you know, what do you do, come with a little stick to beat me like a puppy? And I don't know if you remember what David said. David said, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Now, Goliath probably laughed out loud when he heard this little teenager spouting uh, nonsense about the name of the Lord God Almighty. I mean, after all, hadn't the Israelites run away for 39 straight days when he came out to challenge them? I mean, and here comes this snot-nosed little runt out there talking trash to the mighty Goliath. But before the day was over, Goliath discovered the joke was on him. His world was really rocked, as someone said. David found that rock, a stone, put it in a slingshot, let it go, and before Goliath knew what hit him, he hit the ground. Now, you might say a lucky shot, but it was not a lucky shot. What made the difference was the courage of David to go into battle in the name of the Lord. Are you willing to go into battle every day in the name of the Lord? Somewhere I heard the story of a soldier who fought in the army of Alexander the Great. He deserted his post in the battle and was brought back, stood in front of Alexander the Great, and Alexander the Great looked at him and said, What's your name, soldier? And the quaking soldier replied, Alexander, my lord. Whereupon Alexander the Great said, You have three choices. Fight, get out of the army, or change your name. You and I bear the name of the Lord. His reputation in this world rests upon every one of us who call ourselves Christians. We honor that name, we increase his reputation when we speak up for him before others. And if we're not willing to get in the battle, let me put this very bluntly, if you're not willing to get into the battle for God, then get out of the army or change your name. I mentioned a 
German pastor in the first message, Helmut Tielecki. He said that we have not learned to pray the Lord's Prayer until we've learned to pray it against ourselves. He meant that the Lord's Prayer sets such a high standard that if we really understand what we're praying, we're praying against our own natural tendencies. So whenever we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're asking that God's name be made great instead of our name. But all too often we pray kind of carelessly. We say, hallowed be your name, but not where I work. Hallowed be your name, but not in my finances. Hallowed be your name, but not in my leisure time activities. Hallowed be your name, but not in my friendships. Hallowed be your name, but not in my sex life. Hallowed be your name, but not in my thought life. And on and on and on. It's like, Lord, anything but that. And the Lord says, no, friends, you've got to understand, it's all or nothing. Now, we say, Lord, I can't hallow your name in this one area of my life. It's too personal. It's too difficult. It's just the way I am. I'm bitter, angry, upset. I'm worried. I'm greedy. I can't use your name in this area because that's just the way I am. And God says, no, friend, it's all or nothing. I mean, ask yourself the next time you are caught in a kind of a dilemma. Ask yourself, would God sign off on this activity? You're about to lose your temper. Would God sign off on that? I mean, if the answer is yes, then go on. But if the answer is no, you better stop, or you better stop praying the Lord's Prayer. It's really that simple. I want to end up with just a, a simple little story. On my very first trip to Russia a number of years ago, I noticed something rather unusual about how the men in Russia addressed one another. They would say each other's name, their first name, and then they would add a middle name that always ended with Ovich. Ovich. My translator, for example, was addressed as Ivan Mikhailovich Sergei. When I asked Ivan about it, he said that Russians always use the, I think it's called patronymic, and patronymic is a word that means the name of my father. The ovich ending in uh, Russian literally means son of. Therefore, Ivan Mikhailovich means John, son of Michael. It was a way of recognizing their family lineage so every son would bear his father's name. And when Yvonne asked me my father's name, I said, well, my father's name was Herman Kolb. And he thought for a moment and he said that in Russia, my name, using the patronymic, would be Barry Hermanovich. Barry, son of Herman. But guess what? That's not the name I walk around with today. Any more than anybody come up and say, well, there's Nancy Louisovich. You know, the, the daughter of, of Louis. No, Nancy walks around, I walk around, you walk around bearing the name of Jesus. As a Christian, we bear the name of our Heavenly Father. Hallowing his name just means that we, we live our lives in such a way that we increase his reputation in this world. When, I, when I've done it well, people who don't know God will actually look at my life and say, man, he or she must really have a great God. And when that happens, God, no doubt, looks down from heaven and says, that's my boy. 
That's my girl. So here's a simple application to this message. What can the world conclude about God by watching your life? Might be something to consider this week. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would root out everything in us that is false and untrue. Set our feet to follow where you lead. May our words and deeds and even our secret thoughts bring honor to your name. Help us to live so that others find it easy to believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And remember that very simple little truth. God's